0: I have to turn on all my apps and devices. I have a tendency to talk a little bit long, so I want to make sure I'm, I'm staying on task and on time today. Um, but I'm really excited to spend a few minutes with you this morning, um, especially in light of what we've been talking about recently over the last you know, few weeks with uh, hearing from God. And now we're moving into this series about encounters with God. And I, I want to talk this morning, um, I actually, and start off with a little bit of a practice, because I think that I'm suspicious. I have a suspicion. I could be entirely wrong. Um, but I think that maybe you're not so different from me. I think maybe we're all very, very similar. Uh, there's probably a few uh, spiritual ninjas in the room. Good on you. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm like the spiritual white belt who gets beaten up a lot. Um, and one of the things that really struck me uh, about this, this uh, praying and how to hear from God series that we've just finished uh, was the emphasis on pause and just taking a moment to stop and to hear from God and to really engage in that moment. And we have all these practices that we do at church. We come in and we, we, we do worship and we do the song break. We have this kind of formulaic approach that's it's not bad at all, but, but it's the usual standard. And if you're checking your watch or if you're here with your partner or if you're here on your own because you're supposed to be or you promised somebody you would be, you are just checking the next five minutes, right? Like, okay, I need to get to that next thing so that, okay, we're almost done, uh, 1040, 1030, okay, we're closing in, okay, good, out the door, I've got other things I'm doing today. And I don't want that. I don't want that to be my spiritual life anymore. And so I've been challenged as I've been, I've been hearing from Pete Gregg, but also as I've been using uh, an app called Soul Space, where I just take a, a moment each day and I, and I pause. I wish I could say that I did that every day. I don't, um, but I, I've been trying to. And so this morning right now, um, I've asked Ash to come up and you gonna play a little bit of light music. And here's what I'd like you to do. If you have a phone, put it in your bag. If you are distracted and talking with your partner, maybe take a moment if you're here with your husband or wife or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever, and you've had a rough morning. You know that thing where you come in and you're like, I am gonna, you are, we are. Hi, good morning, we're at church, it's good to see you. <laughs> right? And, and, and the pastors and us, you know, the leadership, we, it, it's, it's not any different in our lives. So if you need to take a moment, like look at your neighbor and say, yeah, I tanked this morning, sorry. And if not, I just wanna just invite us for a moment to pause. So here's what we're going to do. Put your phone down. You're going to close your eyes. It doesn't matter if it feels silly. Please participate and just take a moment and not even just come Holy Spirit, but we're just going to pause and we're going to listen and we're going to see what God has to say in this moment. So Ash, if you wouldn't mind, and we're just going to play a little bit. We're just going to wait a moment and just hear a pause from God. you to take a deep breath in through your nose, hold it for just a moment, breathe out very deeply, and I want you to take another deep breath in through your nose, and hold it, and let it out through your mouth. I want you to feel your fingertips and your toes, I want you to feel God just wash over you. Surely, God is in this place. How awesome is this place. There is no other God than our God. Those words were penned thousands of years ago by Jacob. And they speak to us today. And so as you sit there and you just enjoy a moment before God, just let everything go. And invite him to speak, not through me, because I'm I'm nothing, but invite him to speak directly to you. We're going to ease back into the morning. We're going to step into our worship and our, our preach. But just remember that God is here. He's in this place. He's with you wherever you go through the day. Amen? All right. Ash, thank you very, very much. If you get a chance, it's a fantastic app. I don't usually plug another product. I only use the free version. Um, But Soul Space, very transformative in your early mornings. Um, And just take those moments to pause. I want to start today with the reading of our scripture. So we're going to be looking at a story from the the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis has got all the good stories, right? So if you ever read the Bible, you always got through Genesis, and then you kind of petered off. But Genesis is all the good action especially as a kid, all the really exciting stories. And this is probably one of my favorite ones, though it's a really unusual story uh, in our text. And it's found today in Genesis chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 17. And I want to start off with the, the reading of the word. Starting in verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven And the angels of God were ascending and descending it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, your God, the God, uh, sorry, the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust on the earth, and you will spread out to the east and to the west, to the north and the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offering and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until what I have done is I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. There is none other, uh, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, I looked on the internet for pictures of this because I was trying to figure out how do we really encapsulate this. And artists have all kinds of ideas. Um, but it really is just this magnificent moment. And, and as the, the accounting in Genesis records, it's, it's very much, I feel like, uh, almost like John's revelation, right? It's very symbolic, and it's very hard to understand. And somebody was trying to put into words something that was absolutely insanely spiritual and a crazy powerful moment with God. But I think it really speaks to this, this engagement that we have where God entered into a moment with an individual, and I want to take a look and see what that means for us today because I think that that was not, I don't think, I know that that is not only something that happened then, that's something that happens constantly again and again, and God's inviting you to have that moment right now, okay? So we're going to be talking actually about God being in this place, but on the larger umbrella of, of moments of encounter in our series. And I want to talk about moments of encounter, moments of encounter where God encounters us, and specifically with Jacob in this one specific place in in Beersheba. But for us, it is a moment of encounter in this place defined by some things that I think we see through the passage. And the first thing is we see an amazing display of God's mercy and power. An amazing display of God's mercy and power. Now, you might be wondering, okay, well, wh- wh- what are we thinking there? We're looking at the, it's what, it's what Jacob saw, right? It's the engagement in seeing the ladder and the angels. That's God's power. And actually, this starts well before that. So it says in verse 10 that Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. All right, now how many of us have been camping? Right? Okay, I want you to notice, this guy did not pitch a tent. He pulled up a rock for a pillow. Um, I, I occasionally will, will uh, the boys wanted to set up this week a fort, right? It's the, it's the holidays, they wanted to set up a fort. We were having a sleepover, and they invited dad to sleep in the fort, there was a sleeping bag and the hard floor. Like, that was my life. And, and I was not comfortable. And here's Jacob cruising out and decided that he's gonna take a little nap on a rock. This tells you something about the condition of the man. He was amazingly tired. And that's because there's a bigger backdrop to what's going on here. I want you to understand the distance that he walked. So I went onto Google Maps and Bible scholars, they say approximately, they, they guess around 40, 40 to 45 miles. I think they're wrong, because I went into Google Maps, and what Google Maps tells me is, is that this actual distance, walking, uh, from where they were looking at, where, where he had begun his destination, where he was living with his family, going up to uh, Bethel, which is where he was going to be uh, having this encounter, uh, is almost 85 kilometers if you're going in a straight line, and about 120 kilometers if you're taking the longer route. And you never know when something unexpected's going to happen. <laughs> Right? So I don't think that he just went in a straight line and was like, I'm cruising. And the question you have to ask yourself is why he was doing this. And for those of us that know the Bible, we, we know these stories, and we, we know maybe, but for those of us who don't or have forgotten, uh, we have to go back a little bit. Now, you see, uh, Jacob is known as being a trickster. That's actually part of why God would eventually rename him Israel, and he became the father of the, the 12, nation, uh, 12 uh, tribes of Israel. But at this point, he's still Jacob. And he was a twin, and he was the younger twin. And he was the jealous younger twin who wasn't quite as good as. And his mom didn't like the other son because it was his stepmother. And there was a lot of enmity between these two boys. And so Jacob, knowing he was the youngest, decided that he would do something really sneaky. And he tricked Esau, his brother, and deceived his father and stole the blessing. And now the challenge for us as a a church, or for those of us who come into this and we don't really know this story, or just those of us living today, we don't get this because we don't have blessings like this. So let me rewrite this differently. Um, Your parents are very, very, very wealthy. Very sadly, their time has come and they have passed. They have willed you all of their property. And your younger brother or sister, a younger cousin, has come in and has worked with a solicitor and has stolen all of that money every cent that your parents had planned and provided for you and worked hard for themselves for you, and they stole it. Now we read stories about like this in in the news today, but the, the truth is is that people kill each other for this kind of stuff, absolutely crazy. And in these times, it was expected that there was some sort of exactment of revenge that you had to go and give retribution for what had happened. And Esau, in chapter 27, just a little before this, in verse 41, says, he held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Semicolon, long pause. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. This was not metaphorical. This wasn't sort of. This wasn't kind of. Like, he meditated, planned, hoped, and intended to destroy, to physically End the life of his brother because of his anger. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm guessing some of us in the room can probably identify with that sense of rage at something that may have happened in our lives at some point. We all bear wounds. We bear hurts. There's that pain. And so maybe we can't identify with that act, but we can certainly identify with that hurt. Jacob did the wrong thing. And what's amazing is that in spite of that, Jacob's the good guy in our story. I love that. And I love that for a few reasons, but primarily because Jacob was running, not to God. Jacob was running away from his sins. He was running away from his past. And if you are anything like me, there have been times when in your life you have done the same. Maybe you're doing that right now. Maybe you're in a difficult situation in a relationship. Maybe you're in a difficult situation at work. Maybe that difficult situation has a lot to do with your choices. Maybe it doesn't. But maybe you're on the run. And if you haven't been recently, you will at some point in the future. I'd love to say that we just get to a point where we're all done with that, right? I think when we're all done with that, God calls us home. So Jacob's on the run. And we see that he has this amazing encounter with God, where God, despite Jacob's deficiencies, despite his sins, despite this malicious, terrible thing he's done to his family, God says, hi, I'm here to meet you. I'm here to engage you. I'm here to encounter you in this place. Despite your condition, I still have a plan for you. I find that very encouraging, amen? amen. Hmm. The second thing I think we see here is, is that anytime we have an encounter with God, and when we say in this place, it could be this place, it could be in your house, it could be in your car, it could be sitting in the garden, it could be sitting in the loo, Wherever that moment is where God encounters you, there's some things that are going to happen. And the first thing is is that I think you'll be blown away by, by just his presence and his mercy for you. But the second thing I think we see is that God always reveals and confirms his identity. See, God's very consistent, and we live in a world that doesn't want us to be consistent. Oh, the Bible was written a long time ago. It doesn't really mean that. You don't understand my situation. I find that such a funny thing to hear from people. Like, you you can cookie cutter some things up. Like, I like these part of things that were said, but I don't like this part of things that were said. So I'm going to take take the sugar from the cookie, and I'm going to take the chocolate chips from the cookie, but please don't give me the eggs or the flour. Well, I've got some bad news for you. I take the eggs and the flour and the salt, and you still don't have a cookie. You can't take part of it without all of it. And so the first thing God does is he says, hey, I'm going to show up here and I want to remind you that I am still who I said I am, and I am God, because you haven't encountered me yet. See, Jacob didn't know God yet, and we see that in the next uh, verse right there, where we talk, and it says in Genesis 10, uh, 28, 10 through 17 there, in verse 12 and 13, he says, he had a dream, and he saw the stairway resting on earth, with the top of it reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending into it. I think there we see that that God was revealing it to him, like, hey, I'm this I'm magnificent. You haven't encountered me yet. Let me show you my magnificence. But then, because he realized that Jacob was just blown away by this, as we all are, you know, anytime you see anywhere in the Bible where it says in the angel of the Lord, the first thing the angel always says is what? Don't be afraid. So those people that are like, "I have met this, I had this encounter with God." if they're anything like, if it's braggy, if it's big, if it's like, "Oh, it was awesome." That, that's just not true. You encounter God's power, and there's one reaction, and it's your knees on the floor and your head somewhere near it. It just blows you away. Because you're in the presence of the God who created the universe. And so he reveals that to Jacob. But he doesn't just go there. He's like, okay, um, Jacob is a trickster. He's not met me yet. He's a little little short up here because he's thinking he can get away with things with me. So let me just clarify. And he says there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. So let me just clarify. You've heard some things from your father. You've heard some things from your grandfather. And I'm that God. And that would have been really important for, for I think for Jacob in particular, because I don't know about you, but I don't think about the Abrahamic covenant. I don't think about Isaac and what God promised him. I think about Abraham and Isaac on that altar. And God showed up and saved Isaac. He took his life and he gave a provision from from a sacrifice that was supposed to happen, this incredible, powerful story. And God reached into that moment and said, No, no, no. I have something much, much better for you than where this tragedy looks like it's going. He said, I'm that God. Because I don't know what the table talk was like in Isaac and Abraham's house. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not from that culture. I don't know how you talk. But in my family, we talked about the crazy things that used to happen. And I cannot imagine that at some point, you know, they're just sitting there having ramen or whatever it is they're eating in the, in the Middle East and having some dinner. And, and he says, hey, do you, do you remember that time when I was on the altar? And Jacob would have been like, what now? And God says, I'm that God. I'm the God that provides in the middle of your deficiencies and and in your horrible, awful circumstances. I am the God that saves. I'm the God that that shows you this amazing picture of heaven. I am that God. But he doesn't yet say, I'm your God. Because at this point, Jacob hasn't made an engagement with God. He's not Jacob's God yet. We're getting to where that happens. And the third thing we see there then is is that in these encounters with God, when God meets us in this place, wherever our place is, that he always affirms his promises. So he's revealed his identity, he's shown his power, but then he's also going to come in and and he's going to remind Jacob that he's made some promises. Because that would have been spoken about in the home as well. This was big. He promised Abraham and Isaac that they would have influence and their their children, their grandchildren, the multi-generational family that would come would have influence all over the world that they would inherit this land that they still haven't quite inherited yet. And Jacob would have been wondering, like, okay, when is this happening? And so God says, not only am am I that God, but let me remind you of the promises I've made, and I'm confirming those promises. I'm affirming them. I'm saying that they are your promises as well. And if you're a regenerate person in Jesus Christ, God is reminding you that those promises are still true today. And if you're not, God holds those promises out for you and says, come, I have these promises for you. Promises of eternal life with him, promises of connection, promises of healing, no matter what your circumstances are. And he says in verse 13, the second part there, he says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed because of you and your offspring. And you see this picture of the covenant, the old covenant, the bonds, these two ropes that were kind of woven together, one representing the family and one representing God's power. And he says, we're together, we're in this, and I will never let you go. Nothing can break this bond. And if we look, actually, in Genesis 12, it's almost identical to what God has literally said to Abram before he became Abraham, before God gave him his new name. And he says, the Lord said to Abram, Abram, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household, to the land I will show you. And verse 2 here, the promise in verse 3, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This promise was confirmed. And, And so God encounters Jacob, and he meets him, and he says, Those promises that I made, I didn't undo them. You don't get some new set of promises. I'm confirming those things I've already said. When God tells you you're saved and then he works everything together for the good of those who love him, that means everything, not some things. It's not a promise then and maybe later. It's a promise now and every moment forward. Amen? Every moment forward. But this is probably my favorite part, is that these moments of encounter also reveal God's amazing care for us personally. It's not enough that he just took mercy on on Jacob's situation. It's not enough that he just revealed his identity or that he reminded him of the promises. Now he's gonna step step into Jacob's moment and he's gonna say, I have a moment for you. He says, this is just between you and me now. And when God encounters you, when he comes into that place, when he's there for you, he takes you and he says, this is now personal, it's you and me only. And you know who you are in the room. Right now you're being challenged, and there's this moment, and you're like, ah, and God's like, no, no, I have a moment for you. And he says it so clearly. You really just have to let the text speak. God's word, I I don't need to add anything to this. It says it all. Verse 15, he says, I am with you, Jacob, not Abraham, not Isaac, yes, them too, but I am with you, Jacob, and I will watch over you, Jacob. I will watch over you, person sitting in Riverside, person listening online. I will be with you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land, the land that he was promised because he's now leaving, he's fleeing on a a journey that's going to be about 450 miles. Remember, he's only 80 kilometers in. He's only about 65 miles into his journey. He's got another roughly 400 to go. And God says, I'm going to bring you back. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I promise you, I will confirm it and I will do it how amazing and how profound that our God encounters us and promises us that he won't leave us and that the work that he's begun, he will see to completion. He has this thing for us. Now, I want to be really practical for a moment. Um, I can't speak a lot about about, your specific circumstances because I don't know them. But I know that there are families here that are struggling in their marriages. I know that there are families here that are struggling in their workplaces. There are families that are struggling with their kids. There are kids that are struggling with their parents. I know you have problems, and I know you did a really good job of cleaning up nicely this morning and pretending you don't, but just put that down for a minute. I have problems. I hope that you can be honest with God about yours. But God promised me, he promised you, he promised all of us that he will not leave us, and that he will be here, and that he will take us through. It's a promise to us individually and personally. And for me, this really brought up this image and this picture of really God planting something new in our lives. Him reaching down into the soil and, the, and, and, and what we see is just the dirt. There's nothing here, God. Nothing can grow. And God says, no, 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 no. I just tilled the topsoil. I'm just getting ready to plant. And we're going, no, God, it's just a big, dirty mess. God says, no, I love the dirt. I'm good with dirt. I grow stuff. And so whatever your circumstances are right now, that promise God has in you, he's planted it and he's creating it and he's crafting it and he's caring for it. He's sheltering it, he's shading it, he's watering it. And it doesn't matter if you don't understand the time. God has a time. Amen? Lamentations uh, Chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, puts it very differently, but very, very similarly. It really reminds me of this. It's it's where we get the, the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know the old hymn? Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning. New mercies I see. But it says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is the God that is speaking to Jacob. His faithfulness is great. He is there, and he is promising this new thing. Well, we wouldn't be complete in the experience, though, if we left it there. We've seen the amazing power of God. We've seen his mercy. We've seen his promises and identity. We've seen the encouragement that there is a future. And you can almost imagine, and I realize it's probably slightly irreverent, but I just kind of see God kind of taking off the cap, dusting his brow. (sighs) What do you think? And that's almost this moment that you see there with Jacob. He looks at him, what do you think? And Jacob's response is our response, I hope. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. I didn't see God moving. And he was afraid. We should be afraid I want to be clear, that word is not one of those respectful reverence kind of words. The idea is he was scared. He was terrified. He had not known that he had been trotting you know, and walking all over God's ground. And then he realized the God of the universe had stepped into his moment and made him these promises, and he looked back at his life and said, oh, I need to make some changes. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And the next three verses go on, and I don't have them on the slides, but for our text today, just so you know where the story finishes, Jacob goes on to say, if God will be my God, then I will commit. And he basically says that he's on for the deal. He says, if God's my God, if he's going to protect me, if he's going to do what he said, then I'm all in. And he spends the rest of his life all in. Now, there are consequences That moment of worship, that profound engagement that he has, there are incredible consequences for Jacob's life. Jacob didn't get off scot-free. He stole from his brother, and he spent the next 14 years having to work for his uncle to try and earn God's beginning of God's blessing there. It wasn't that God withheld him for that, but sin has consequences. Jacob didn't walk away from it, but Jacob could bear it because he knew that the God of the universe had a plan for him, and in that encounter where he had seen and engaged with God, he knew he was going to a better thing. So as you consider that moment of worship, I want to leave you with kind of two thoughts. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I really like this, and I hope this stays with you. If you're using your phone, this is a great time to take a picture, because I think this quote is fantastic. He says, we can ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. He's with us right now. He's with you in the car. He's with you at home. He's with you in that angry, hard conversation you're going to have or you already had. He's there. God is here. He's in this place. I hope you pursue that encounter with Him this morning.